Hello and welcome to episode 35 of That's What People Do. You are joined as ever by me, Ryan, and this week I am joined by me, Ryan. James is not here today. Like last week, this shall be another short solo episode, or as we shall be calling them from now on, mini-sodes. Of course, there is a global pandemic going on at the moment. Countries all over the world are shutting down. Italy is in full lockdown. Spain has gone the same way. France is very much going that way. And Germany is closing its borders like other countries around in Europe. So it's all a bit mad here in the UK as well. See, our government overlords, they're pondering on what to do. We've been told to start implementing social distancing, staying away from each other by like a metre or so, avoiding pubs, clubs, theatres, the tube network is pretty much empty as workers are working from home and self-isolating. Some don't even have the choice as because businesses, you see, are having to close their doors because of a lack of business coming in. If you have the smallest signs of symptoms, you are to self-isolate for two weeks. Celebrities are dropping like flies as well, with at least daily reports that they're contracting the virus here and there, which seems to really be bugging, quotes, regular people. I've seen some comments saying, why are all the celebs getting the virus? Personally, I'm just going to assume it's because they meet lots of different people from around the world, unlike Dave from Newport in Wales. Anyway, as it stands, we've been advised to refrain from all but essential travel. This includes um, work, heading to the hospital or going to the shops to get toilet roll. That sort of stuff is allowed kind of thing. But really what they want us to do is sign a Hold up, work from home, don't really go out if you don't have to, that kind of stuff. Oh, um, here's a little life hack for you. Toilet roll is running out. We are in very short supply of toilet roll in this country. I've had an idea. Why don't I go to the local office supply shop and start buying printer paper? There's tons of that around. It's not as comfortable as your Andrex, but needs must. Anyway, for the time being, James and I are not actually able to be in the same room as each other. As we've said on previous podcasts, we live about three hours away from each other. It's a bit of a way to get to, okay? Now, unfortunately, I have a family member with an autoimmune disease, which unfortunately puts her in the high-risk category. James is also concerned about potentially passing something on to his family members. So to protect them as, you know, being healthy young 20-year-olds like we are, just going to ignore the fact that I am now in my late 20s, we are unlikely to really be affected by the virus, but we have family members who could be so. To be cautious, we are figuring out a way to record four episodes, which are written, now ready to be done. We've just got to figure out a time and a way to do that. So we're going to look at maybe doing that over Skype and having all the audio recorded separately. I'm not a very good person to talk about with this. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing, okay? I'm, as you can hear, recording on a very small microphone in my bedroom, trying to get this one done. So let's carry on, okay? Let's look out for those coming hopefully in the next week, all right? There's got four episodes. Hopefully we'll get those recorded this week or next. So yeah, keep checking out our social media as that's where we'll be keeping you updated about the spiky boy pandemic, okay? So let's crack on, shall we? Let's get into a cheeky little mini-sode that I've written out for us. Now this week, I shall be telling you about a guy who was so dedicated to the cause, it cost him 30 years of his life. Now, we all know about people who are dedicated to something. Maybe it's model building, collecting albums, train spotting, 
but none of these compare to the sheer dedication to fighting a war that is no longer being fought. That's right, a war that is no longer being fought, okay? So, enter Hiro Onoda. Now, again, apologies for this now. I will say this. Uh, this is about a Japanese man. There is a couple of Japanese names. If I butcher them, I do apologize. I do not speak Japanese, okay? So these, these names and words are relatively new to me. So as I say, enter Hiro Onoda. He was born March 19th, 1922 in Wakayama, Japan. He first began his working life at the Tajima Yoko Trading Company in Wuhan. Topical. But shortly before his 20s, he was enlisted in the Imperial Japanese Army to fight in World War II. Now, he was trained as an intelligence officer in Nakano School. Here, he would be taught how to gather enemy intelligence, live off the land, and engage in guerrilla warfare, as the Japanese were famous for in the Second World War. On December the 22nd, 1944, Onoda was deployed to Lubang Island in the Philippines. His orders were to harass the enemy as much as he could, destroying piers, airstrips, and gather intelligence along the way. He was under strict instruction never to surrender under any circumstances. His commanding officer, Major Yoshimi Tanaguchi's orders were clear. You are absolutely forbidden to die by your own hand. It may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Until then, so long as you have one soldier, you are to continue to lead them. You may have to live on coconuts. If that's the case, live on coconuts. Under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. Now this must go down as a far better pep talk than even Mel Gibson's Braveheart, as these orders would be so ingrained in Anoda's mind, it would help him fight well after the war would be over. Now, upon being deployed, Anoda met up with a group of Japanese soldiers already based there. Not long after this, in February 1945, the Allies came swooping in, island hopping as they went, the wind fully behind the sails of the Allied Pacific campaign. Anoda, now a lieutenant, quickly ordered his men to the hilly jungle. The rest of the Japanese based on the island either died fighting or surrendered, which would have disgusted Anoda. Anoda, along with Corporal Shoichi Shimada, Private First Class Kinshichi Kazuka and Private Yuichi Akatsu began guerrilla warfare harassing the enemy just as they had been trained to. They carried this on until October 1945. They came across a leaflet saying the Japanese had surrendered and the war was over, which would have been a shock to them, but they passed it off as nothing. And then another letter that they found saying, quotes, the war ended on August 15th, come down from the mountains. Now, this letter had come from the locals who were kind of fed up with seeing these people just running around. Anoda and his band of men concluded that this was mere Allied propaganda and carried on their mission. Now, as I say, by this time, Lubang Island was no longer a piece of giant war games chessboard, but it was an island where locals were trying to get back to normal life. What they didn't want was a few stubborn soldiers refusing to believe that their nation would never lose the war, let alone surrender wandering around shooting at them. 
they had a few skirmishes with local police, and on some occasions they killed people. All the time, Anoda and his men were almost impossible to find, as they had become quite good at living in the jungle, because by this time they'd been in there five years. It's 1949. They have been there for five years. You, anyway, right. Yuichi Akatsu. In 1949, five years after the, no, four years after the war has finished. It's five years since they got deployed. It's now four years since the war has finished. Okay. Which is still a long fucking time. It took you four years after the war. Anyway, right. As I say, Yuichi Akatsu. He's decided to surrender. He wandered off from the group. He actually spent six months in the jungle making his way to local authorities to surrender. Eventually in 1950 that happened, five years after the war finished. Now this had a profound effect on the rest of the group who had decided that that was a serious security risk. Did it help them? Not really. What did it do? It made them double their efforts and be a bit more secure and anxious and cautious at everything. By 1952, letters and pictures from their family members were being airdropped into the jungle to be found by Anoda and his group, who then immediately declared them all as a trick. I, I can't believe it myself, but in 1953, Shimada was shot in the leg after a shootout with a fisherman. Now, Anoda, being a very, very useful man, nursed him back to health only for Shimada to then, in the next year, be shot again and killed by a search party that were looking for them. Now, it's just Anoda and Kazuka left. Two men, in the jungle, sweaty, fighting a war against nobody like me playing Call of Duty Warzone at the moment. The next tragedy would strike when Kazuka was killed during a shootout with police in October 1972 a full 27 years after the war ended. 27 years! Now, Anoda was on his own, totally convinced that the war was still going on. How could his beloved empire lose the war? Now, in 1974, a young student called Norio Suzuki was traveling the world, but he had a checklist with him. He was looking to find Lieutenant Anoda, a panda, and the abominable snowman, in that order. Oddly enough, considering the local authorities struggled for years to locate Anoda, Suzuki found him after four days. Now, Anoda said of his encounter with Suzuki, quote, This hippie boy Suzuki came to the island to listen to the feelings of a Japanese soldier. Now, they became quite good friends, and Anoda confided in him that he would not surrender until he was told to by a superior officer. Now, Suzuki had an idea. He returned to Japan with a picture of himself and Anoda as proof and asked that the Japanese government do something about it. And they did. They since declared that Anoda had, uh, was dead. Like, they didn't think that he would have been able to survive in the jungle for that long, so they just declared him dead anyway. And when they saw a picture of Anoda, very, very fine and well, they were like, oh, fuck, um, okay, we probably should do something about that. He's completely harassing the local populace of this tiny Filipino island. <laughs> so they actually managed to locate his old superior officer, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, 
the guy who gave the epic speech that was better than Braveheart, remember? So he had since left the military, long ago since left the military, and had now become a bookseller. That was it. He just, that was it. Now, Taniguchi was sent out to Lubang Island on March the 9th in 1974, 29 years after the war had ended. And he fulfilled his promise to Anoda that, quote, whatever happens, we'll come back for you. And he declared the following orders. In accordance with the Imperial Command, the 14th Area Army has ceased all combat activity. In accordance with Military Headquarters, Command Number A2003, the Special Squadrons of Staff's Headquarters is relieved of all military duties. Units and individuals under the command of Special Squadron are to cease military activities and operations immediately and place themselves under the command of the nearest superior officer. When no officer can be found, they are to communicate with the American or Philippine forces and follow their directives. Anoda surrendered himself, turning over his effects which included his immaculately kept Type 99 rifle, 500 rounds of ammunition, hand grenades and a dagger passed down to him by his mother in 1944 which he was to use to commit suicide should he ever be captured. Now despite the fact he had engaged in many shootouts with locals and even killing some authorities, he was actually pardoned by the Filipino president Ferdinand Marcos, who believed that Anada truly thought the war was ongoing. Anada surrendered his katana to the president in full military uniform, which had been immaculately kept despite 30 years in the jungle. He had actually said of this, I eased off the pack that I always carried with me and laid the gun on top of it. Would I really have no more use for this rifle that I had polished and cared for like a baby all these years? Or Kazuko's rifle, which I had hidden in a crevice in the rocks? As the war really ended 30 years ago? If it had, what had Shimada and Kazuka died for? Anoda returned to Japan, but was shocked to see the country he had left was a seriously different place to it is now. He really struggled to deal with the fact the world had moved on and traditional virtues that he had lived by were now gone. So he moved for a time to Brazil and here he married a lady. But in 1984, after hearing about a murder of two parents by their son in 1980, Anada returned to Japan and opened up Anada Nature School, an educational camp for young people, trying to bring in um, old virtuous uh, things from Japan like or beliefs and virtues and stuff like that to things to live by to potentially help young people become better people. Onada died at the ripe old age of 91 in 2014. This guy died relatively recently, like 6 years ago. He spent 30 years. He fought World War 2, then spent 30 years after World War 2 fighting World War 2. And <laughs> only died in 2014. I think this guy is incredible. He died from heart failure uh, caused by complications from pneumonia. What an insane, insane story. And that was Hiro Onada, the man who fought a war for 30 years. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, uh, this little mini-sode. Uh, this is my take on the mini-sode. 
I enjoyed reading up on it, so I hope you enjoyed listening to it and finding a little bit out about him. Uh, remember to check us out on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us if you have anyone that you would like us to talk about in maybe some more mini-sodes in the future. Something to keep us all entertained whilst the, uh, the, the world is going to shit, alright? Listen, it's been fun to record these. Um, stay safe and healthy, and enjoy the pandemic. Bye.